the way we've always seen NBA Top Shot is kind of like as the, the the future of fandom, right? And what I mean by that is that if you if you're really invested as a fan, if you really are a fan of a a team, you should not only collect but also be recognized as as a fan of the player, a fan of the team, a fan of the NBA, and be recognized socially and in games and in real life events and digital events. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GMGM, GM, welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host. And we've got a guest today who's a Web3 OG, a founding team member of Dapper Labs and a product leader, Arthur Kamara. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the invite, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. You're you're welcome. I, I like talking to builders and like product thinkers in the space and specifically, I mean, NBA Top Shot is how I really got into Web3 and NFTs myself. So I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm even wearing my my Flow shirt that I got from <laughs> NFT NYC last year to, to represent. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, thanks for representing. That's, that's great to see. So could you walk us through how you got into crypto originally and how that led you to being one of the founding team members at, at Dapper Labs and, and maybe even give a little bit of context for Dapper Labs if people aren't as familiar. So I've been in the NBA Top Shot ecosystem for a long time and I know that you're behind Flow, Top Shot, CryptoKitties and whatnot, but maybe not everyone's as familiar. Like yourself, a lot of people got in touch with the NFT world through NBA Top Shot recently, which is really exciting to see. You know, uh, today we have over a million accounts on, on NBA Top Shot, and, and a lot of people got in touch with it in 21. But uh, you know, my journey started way back in 2017 when we built CryptoKitties at first. At the time, we were learning about the blockchain as well. There, there were a lot of ICOs at the time. There were a lot of fungible tokens being launched at the time. And we wanted to do something different. Uh, we wanted to learn about the technology. And, and as we were investigating, we realized that the best way to learn something is to play with it, right? And we wanted to, instead of like launching a course or launching like educational material, we, we wanted to allow people to play with the technology. So that's when the idea came of like, building the, the first game on the blockchain. And, and, and we decided to explore there. And, and, and somebody said, hey, why people love cats. Why don't we bring cats to the blockchain? It was Mac Flavel, one of the co-founders of, of Dapplabs as well. We decided to bring cats to the blockchain. That's how, how we, we got involved. And, and we built CryptoKitties. It's a very interesting story. I love chatting about this and how we launched it because it was a bunch of like improbable events that happened in, in, in sequence and they ended up working out. We decided to really build the community first, kind of like how a lot of projects uh, get started today. But we decided to invite people to the CryptoKitties community and to understand that idea even before we had a product. Somehow we convinced ourselves that in order to really launch CryptoKitties in a successful way, we needed to show it to the Ethereum community and we needed to show it live in this event 
called ETH Waterloo uh, that happened in 2017. It was the first of its kind. It was the first event in, here in Canada bringing uh, a lot of Ethereum builders together. And we didn't have a product. We, we, we barely had a, a draft for a smart contract. We barely had the cats, kind of like a, a prototype of how they would look. And we decided we needed to show a prototype in this event. And the event was the week after. So we, we, we packed our bags and we, we decided to buy our tickets and fly the next, the next day. There we were at, at ETH Waterloo. We didn't even have tickets for the event. We talked to the organizers. We, they allowed us in and, and we, we basically built in two days, we built a prototype for, for CryptoKitties and we got the entire event to breed cats on testnet. You know, we, we had 400 cats at the end of the event. And we showed it on stage and people loved it. And it was such an exciting time. And that's kind of like how we built that, you know, that foundation. We built the community first. We, we shared an idea that was half-baked. The community really got involved and, and they thought it was clever and funny and interesting. And uh, some people thought it was stupid. And that sort of like added a lot of hype to the product. And, and it was very interesting to see. But yeah, that's, that's kind of like how we, we got started and how we initially launched the, the alpha of, of CryptoKitties. And of course, after that, we built the product on Mainnet and we actually grew the team a little bit more to build it out properly. NFTs right now get a lot of, I don't know if it's backlash necessarily, but just a lot of commentary on how every NFT collection is like adjective insert animal you know crypto kitties you got the bored apes the cool cats something like that i wonder if crypto kitties really set nfts on their trajectory for being animal based i mean <laughs> may, maybe i mean they're they're relatable people people love cats so i wonder if that's part of it do you think where we are today like how different is the nft market today different from what you had envisioned back then at that conference yeah, way back then it was easy to stand out, I would say, because you know, everybody was wearing black and jeans and we were the only ones with colorful t-shirts and colorful product with kitties, right? And and animals, like I said. So it was very easy to stand out from that perspective. Nowadays it's almost the opposite. You go on Twitter and it's like a wave of like colorful animals being thrown at you. So it's really a lot harder to really differentiate your project, which is something that I I, I think the ones that really stand out, they they do innovate uh, quite a lot, and and they're not just you know copycats. As soon as we we, we launched uh, CryptoKitties, we saw a, a wave of projects that were very similar, right? Crypto Dogs uh, launched like a, a few weeks later, and Crypto Bunnies, and and all of these animal based products that were really using a, a very similar mechanic of like, uh, and and if you don't know, CryptoKitties was. And still is a, a project where you can buy cats and, and breed them and generate new, new, new kitties. And they, there's like a genetics behind it and traits and things like that and rarities and tears. So we saw a lot of that, a lot of the same pop up uh, right after that. But you know the, the projects that that really were able to uh, stick around and 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 grow from there were the people who really innovated. So as part of that. CryptoKitties community back in the day where people like Devin who built ended up building OpenSea, right? And uh, he really wanted to have a good marketplace, a better marketplace with filters and features that we didn't have. So he, he went ahead and built it and and he, he sort of like branched off of the CryptoKitties community or even people who wanted more gaming features like the folks at Axie. They basically wanted to have gaming into uh, into CryptoKitties. We were not building exactly what they, they envisioned. So they 
they they went on and, and sort of like copy the concept and, and innovate it in some way and, and build it. They built X Infinity. So I think the ones that ended up sticking around are the ones that actually innovate somehow. So I didn't know that Devin was part of that original like crypto kitty community and maybe got some inspiration for the marketplace from just participating in NFTs like that. Cool to see how some of those OG people ended up going on and building really impactful tools, features, you know, elements of the Web3 space that we're using today. We're talking about breeding cats on the blockchain right now. Like how weird was it to explain to your friends and family like what you do for work? I mean, that must have been everyone must have said, you know, Arthur, what what's going on? Like this isn't work. Like whatever you're doing, stop doing that. Did like people say that to you? Yeah, it was very strange. It was very strange. Uh, you know, even explaining crypto was strange back in the day. Uh, explaining Bitcoin or, or Ethereum was like already crazy. And and then when I went a step further and said, you know what, I'm using a similar technology, but actually creating cats on the blockchain and breeding them, that that sounded very, very crazy to people. So family members and, and others thought we were uh, nuts, right? And But yeah, over time, uh, you know, the first time I, I, I thought we were like, Doing something right was when I saw CryptoKitties on TV and I saw it on uh, an elevator ad and I was like, oh shit, people are actually talking about us and and seeing some value and and, and waves of people were trying to participate and thought it was interesting and, and it, it made it it made it a lot more approachable to folks who who thought you know crypto was all about finance and it was complicated and it was hard and and instead they were seeing oh this is a path of something that I would I, I could try and it's a it could be fun and it could be interesting and and they could learn something from it. So it's not like um, learning by, by playing, right? There's a great quote by Chris Dixon. I believe this is his quote and not one that he's quoting, but he said that, and Chris Dixon's a, a VC investor from Andreessen Horowitz, very deep in the Web3 space and like their crypto fund. But he said, a lot of novel innovation starts out looking like a toy. And I think in many respects, you see that with CryptoKitties, this experimentation with NFTs started out looking very much like a toy, a game, something kind of ch maybe childlike, even though it's very complex on the back end, the, the front end, what you see is like this cute little cartoon cat. And what that really started as a toy led to hobbyists turning into professionals. You talk about Devin, who's the founder of one of the founders of OpenSea, hobbyists participate in the CryptoKitty community, goes on and building, I mean, what are they valued at now? Like 10 billion plus marketplace. And that's probably, honestly, that's a great example of things that look like a toy really turning into novel innovation down the road. Yeah. And from the start, we had a mindset of creating something that was bigger than ourselves and that could withstand the fate of time, like even from the start, Dieter uh, was a big proponent and uh, author of the ERC-721. Dieter is the currently the CTO of Dapper Labs, and he was part of that team as well that created the, the CryptoKitties in the early days. And, and he authored ERC-721 with the Ethereum community. And, you know, the, the idea there being, hey, let's create a standard for non-fungible tokens. There was a standard already for ERC-20s for fungible tokens. And he could see the potential of like how most things around us are not fungible, right? We have houses, objects that we value, uh, things that are unique, artwork and, and music and whatnot. So 
lots of things that are not fungible. And he saw that potential and, and created the standard. So from the start, CryptoKitties was like a toy, like you said, fun and, and interesting to learn uh, and, and use and play with. But at the same time, there was a kind of like this backend that was um, very powerful behind it. You mentioned the standard around around NFTs, right? ERC 721, right? And now at Dapper Labs, another big innovation you all work on is the Flow blockchain. So how does ERC 721, how do Flow blockchain, what, what is the purpose of creating Flow? And you know, how can someone who's not as familiar kind of understand how that relates to NFTs? Are, are NFTs on the Flow blockchain different from 721? Are there lessons learned from the, you mentioned like the CTO of Dapper, you know, helped create that. So what insights do they take from that creation and implement it to the work you're doing now in Flow? Yeah, hundred percent. And th this is a great way to also answer the question you asked me earlier, which I apologize, I didn't answer, which is like, what give a little bit of background on, on that labs. And let me connect the two dots, basically. Sure. I just got too excited about cats. I jumped on. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really cool. I get excited about cats all the time. Yeah. So when we launched CryptoKitties, we realized, uh, one, there was immense potential in, in that technology, right? People really wanted to play with it. It was massively uh, successful at the time, and we were uh, pretty excited about the tech, too. And we realized that the future was Web3, right? The future uh, was decentralized. And we made it our mission to put a wallet in every pocket to make decentralization mainstream, right? And CryptoKitties was helping with that, but we, we also faced a bunch of a bunch of challenges. One, as CryptoKitties got popular, we completely clogged the Ethereum network, right? At the peak of CryptoKitties, we were taking up 30% of the global transactions on Ethereum, which is nuts, right? And not only that, the user experience was horrible because people would breathe their cats and they needed to wait 24 hours basically for pending transactions to go through. Gas was so, so expensive that new users would feel like, why would I get in? Like, I don't even know this product and, you know, I, I need to pay $20 at the time. It was, it was $20 today. It would be uh, way more for gas. That was, that was crazy. Onboarding was also an issue. Uh, at the time, you know, we were um, connecting with MetaMask, which was a point of friction in, in onboarding. And people didn't know how to install extensions and things like that. And, and they, on top of that, they needed to get Ether. Uh, and, and the only way to do that was through Coinbase. They needed to sign up, send their passport, wait probably a week, a week or so. And at the time, they were quite backlogged with lots of users flooding to, to Coinbase. And if we were lucky, people would do all of that wait seven days, get approved, get Ether, and remember, oh yeah, I did this because I wanted to go back and, and buy some cats. You just described basically like the worst user flow of all time on like a new product, but somehow <laughs> yeah. people made it through that. Exactly. Somehow some people made it through, but we, we realized that a lot of people didn't make it, made it, make it through. And if we really wanted to reach uh, billions of folks, that was not acceptable, right? So, so um, basically, we recognize, hey, you know, the network issues were very, very real. The onboarding issue issues were very real. But at the same time, we, we had a sort of like proof that uh, going in this entertainment route and, and getting people to play with the technology was very powerful. So we kind of like built the entire company around these three things. How can we improve the, you know, the network and how can we improve onboarding? How can we bring massively impactful experiences that are fun and interesting to the blockchain. So 
the first one, the network issue was was the reason why we built Flow. We wanted to have a, a blockchain that was really consumer first and and consumer oriented. We realized that changes on, on Ethereum were if they happened, they would take years and years and years, and we needed to move faster than that. So we 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 also didn't agree with uh, some of the 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 takes and and obviously the uh, sustainability issues were big and and so so we ended up deciding that hey we we need to create a create a technology from the ground up to support what we believe as a a good future which is a future where. Uh, it is decentralized. It is consumer friendly. The user experience is amazing, and there is uh, smooth onboarding, as easy as you know, swiping your credit card and 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 getting an NFT. That should be you know way way easier than installing an extension, going through a process that takes days, and and getting approval to getting getting started. Even right, I think that's that's the whole point and and the whole reason why we ended up in this journey of DApp Labs and then Flow and, and the other products. How should we be thinking about a multi-chain world? Because sometimes I see that there's a lot of conversation around like Ethereum is the blockchain. And then we're just, we're seeing more and more and more chains. Like you just talked about all these problems that you're able to address and overcome. But is an NFT on a different blockchain any different than an NFT on Ethereum? Like how do you, how do you think through that? I definitely think that the future is multi-chain, that there will be several blockchains that that each have a special role and uh, to play and and they interact with each other i can't remember exactly who said this i think it was andrew chen marketer and product lead the, the thing that clicked for him when talking about the blockchain was when he realized that the same way that apis they really helped take services businesses SaaS businesses to the next level by creating ways for for programs and, and machines to communicate and exchange information, blockchains was, were going to be a way for machines and, and programs to exchange value. And I thought that was very clever. That's when I, what I think when I think of a world of, of multi-chains. I think there will be exchange of value between protocols and people will be able to like use the best tool for the best job in various scenarios, uh, depending on, on what experiences they want to go through, which multiverse they want to be part of. A good insight there. And it's it's just interesting hearing people sometimes i've seen people not be supporters of flow because it's not you know it's not an ethereum and they're saying like ethereum is king and i and i i tend to think that there is we're also going to be living in a multi-chain world it's it's just going to be an inevitable and eventually you may not even be you may not even know which chain you're operating on sometimes like a really good user experience you probably you're not going to feel like this blockchain friction, right? You're just going to understand that there's this underlying tech behind it. And it's so early, right? I mean, like, if you think about it, like, go ask your family members if they've ever heard of Ethereum, right? And the majority of people will not have heard of Ethereum or Flow or Bitcoin, maybe Bitcoin, right, from, from the news. But, you know, the, the average North American or even global audience will not have heard of these technologies just yet. So it's it's very early, even though we're, for us that that, that are immersed in this world and, and that read about it all the time, it feels like there's already a, a very strong de facto protocol, but that that's not true. Truth is, the number of wallets that exist are so, so tiny compared to the potential or, you know, the amount of humans, I guess. So yeah, I think we're extremely early. It just feels like 
we've been this for in this journey for a while. But you know what? Um, sometimes I, I think back on that, you know, the old community that I talked about in the beginning, and I felt that way too. So, uh, you know, when I, we were introducing CryptoKitties, it felt like, oh shit, there's a lot of people already here. They know so much. I know very little. And it was 2017. And the fact is that it, it was early, right? And, and I think the same way today, it's still very, very early compared to what it will be in five years and 10 years. I appreciate you sharing that and like letting us know that you felt that way too. Because I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast, myself included, I, I felt this almost imposter syndrome of, oh, I'm jumping into working in Web3 now, but there's people who have been here since 2017 working. And like I flash back and I remember in, in 2017, I started buying like Bitcoin, Ethereum. My first job out of college didn't really have many expenses. So I was just dumping some discretionary funds in like crypto. I, I got paid. First thing I did is open Coinbase and drop some in, right? And after that, I, I started taking this Coursera class on like blockchain and was really trying to decide like, am I going deep into it? And for various reasons, the education around blockchain, I started to take my foot off the pedal as just like things in life happen. You know, I moved, job requirements picked up and then circle back to 2020. And I'm like, dang, three people have been in here for three years. I'm so behind. And it's like, I don't even know if I can ever overcome that lack of experience or or find my place in it now. I wish I jumped in then when I had opportunity. But the truth is, we still have opportunity. And you bring up so many great points around the, the amount of people who have wallets today are so small. So if you're out there and you're wanting to jump into working in crypto and Web3, you know, the time is always today. There's like a good quote. The best the best day to do something was like yesterday. The second best time is today. So that's probably a good way to approach this. I have another flow question and then I'd love to get into some NBA Top Shot stuff with you. But for flow, do you see there are some criticisms around it being centralized? of a blockchain because it was it started by Dapper Labs versus this more decentralized like protocol where there's no like one company behind it. Is that a criticism that you see? And I'd just be curious in what your reaction to that is. Yeah, my reaction to, to this is that it's not centralized. Flow is not centralized anymore. There, there are more nodes out there than nodes that we're running. So there's no way for us to control the network anymore. One thing that was kind of like part of our ethos as we were building both CryptoKitties and, and it's part of like the lessons learned, I guess. We've really taken the approach of progressive decentralization in pretty much everything that we've done. And what that means is that instead of being 100% decentralized from day one, it's more about getting a path of decentralization and, and committing, to that, committing to that roadmap. And the reason why this is so important is because in the beginning, when you're like building a product, you need to iterate very fast. You need to like change things and tweak things. And as an example, when we launched the, not many people know about this, but when we launched uh, CryptoKitties the very first time, we had a bug, right? In the contract, we couldn't fix it. And it was so simple. It was such a simple bug. And we had to quickly remove that contract from our website and reimburse folks and, and deploy a new contract. Contract, And it was like, so hard and, and cumbersome. It took us another week. It was not something easy to do. And that could have been, been avoided, right? And and we we think as you know builders, we know the power of iteration. In software, there's nothing more powerful than building something, iterating, improving, 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 right? And so we really 
believe in this concept of progressively uh, decentralized. And that's how we built Flow. That's why we've been so fast that, you know, in, in a couple of years, we got Flow, we got Dapper, we got NBA Top Shot and, and an amazing user experience and, and Flow now decentralized. So we really believe that the, the path is progressively decentralizing and we got there uh, with, with Flow. And that, that's also true for users almost, right? The user journey that I explained, the way that it was so complicated, I think a much better way is like, hey, uh, get started. It's easy. Maybe it's not fully, fully decentralized from the get-go, but the user has the opportunity of getting their first NFT. And then they get their second NFT. And then they learn a little bit more about chains. They learn about wallets. They learn about, they say, oh, now I, w- I would like to take my, my wallet from a custodial wallet to a non-custodial wallet. And they sort of like decentralize themselves and they learn about the technology the same way that you know some people start with Coinbase, which is a custodial wallet, and then they decide to move and take ownership of their private keys and and use their their non-custodial wallets like Ledger or uh, or MetaMask or whatever. So we we think that that should be the case for uh, both you know users and developers. So when we built Flow, we, we we not only built it that way, but we also made sure that developers had a great experience at iterating on their contracts and upgrading if needed. And and, and those things are built in, into the protocol so that it's not compromised into centralization, but it is also giving an opportunity for developers to build uh, good products, right? I really like that perspective. And it's something that I think I've, I've been thinking about things similarly. I had a podcast episode with our unstoppable domain CEO, Matthew Gould, a few weeks back, and we were talking about the decentralization spectrum and how on there, you know, Unstoppable is building is is a company, right? We're not a DAO, we're a company, but that allows us to iterate really fast on product and ship a lot faster and push those updates. And we're creating a decentralized product. We're creating an NFT. And I'm hearing a lot of similar similarities in how you're describing Dapper Labs and Flow and keep retaining that ability to ship product and updates really fast while still building these decentralized products. And I like what you said about Basically, a company is here to give decentralized tools and products to people so that they can then decentralize themselves over time, you know, in in steps. You don't necessarily go, you don't go to the self-custody wallet first. First, you have your wallet on your exchange. Then you get your self-custody wallet after. That's kind of like the user journey. It sounds like you think through with many of the experiences and, and products you're building. Yeah, that's a good point. And I... When we build Flow, we, we we really wanted to take that approach of, like I said, iteration and, and developer experience. Uh, as an example, when we were talking about ERC-721 earlier, you know, the amount of time it took for that ERC-721 to be merged, like even that proposal was, you know, so so long. And that's and that's okay. That's that that's um, um, interesting from a philosophical and community perspective. But it did take a very, very long time. Even, you know, Ethereum 2 has, has been taking a very, very long time. And we knew that we wanted to move faster than that. We wanted to create impact faster than that. We wanted to bring NBA Top Shot to market with better user experience and tools. So, yeah. Totally. So talking about impact, you just brought up Top Shot. It's a great transition here. We're fast forwarding to basically at late 2020, early 2021, NBA Top Shot exploded. And I'm curious as to kind of get, I just want to know what it felt like to be working at Dapper Labs when what felt like all of crypto and NFT Twitter and and the world were immersed in it. It was, and I'll share with you a little bit, that was my introduction to 
to NFTs. I had heard of CryptoPunks because I've been around, I'd been around for a couple of years at that point, but my friend sent me a pitch deck for an NFT company he was starting and had Dapper Labs as an example of how there's a market here for collectible digital goods. And he, he was linking it to music NFTs. And I was like, I hadn't heard of NBA Top Shot. So basically like went online, followed the Twitter account. And the first time I could jump into get a pack, I snagged one. It was such a fun experience. I've been a a, a long time NBA fan. So this really hit home to me. Yeah, opening that pack was awesome. And then from that point on, like, uh, that's when everything clicked. I got all my friends involved. We were starting to collect NFTs going after the Cool Cats Master Challenge. And from there, I've just never looked back. And now, I, literally, it's because of NBA Top Shot that I'm having this podcast with you today and working in crypto. So I just want to say thanks and, and share that journey a little bit. And it was, it was such a fun experience and a friendship experience to have with some of my friends I lived with during the pandemic. We just all got to participate in that together. Yeah. Thank you for, for being part of it. And, and yeah, it's really inspiring to hear stories like yours and, and, and people who got involved because of Top Shot and, and got inspired. I think, you know, one of the things that Top Shot brought was sort of like that magic of um, opening a pack of cards when you were a kid, you know, and, and sports cards and, and collecting. And, and I think we, we sort of like brought that to 2021, right? 2022, like the, the present day people are not, we made it digital. We made it decentralized. We made it on the blockchain. That was, that was very interesting. There was definitely a lot of both curiosity, but also it sparked a lot of that, you know, nostalgia too mixed with fandom. And I think that that's why, you know, we, we were able to like, unlock that that growth yeah you were, you were asking about uh, how he was to work during that time and it was it was super interesting super hectic too <laughs> initially we, we had a closed beta uh, so we were iterating exactly like I said before right we wanted to start uh, we, we wanted to take the learnings from CryptoKitties and and we we built we built it on flow we built it with with dapper wallets so that people would have a good onboarding experience and we were testing these things very carefully and we knew we wanted to have a good experience from the get-go so we had a closed beta uh, we invited people over time and we really iterated on the product quickly when we opened uh, we opened up the product uh, in october of uh, 2020 and then early 21 that's when we saw like the big wave uh, of of people coming in and Oh man, it, it, we basically like had to work 20 hours a day and <laughs> we, we had such a, a small team for the amount of volume we were getting. It was very hectic and, and crazy, but it was very exciting at the same time. We were solving bugs and changing the product. We couldn't handle uh, the volume at first and then we, we had to find quick solutions. So it was very exciting and very hectic at the same time. Everyone in the company, if they were not an engineer solving a bug, we were working on customer support. We were like helping users solve problems and we were hiring, right? Like crazy. And so far we were able to like 5X the team and, and that was very much needed and, and appreciated. And we were able to like control the volume and demand. Did you think that the use case of, and tell me if you think about it differently, but I, I think about NBA Top Shot as a collectibles use case for NFTs. And we've gone through many waves of NFT trends or just use cases that people really resonate with but it started with collectibles uh, and then after that you know punks exploded as we started to get into some of that og crypto gen art and followed by art blocks and then the pfp wave but do you think collectibles was really just a 
a use case that people could wrap their mind around an NFT? Is that what led to its success? Because there's another another term I learned from Christics, and it was just skeuomorphic, how it, when the internet was first created, we went from magazines to digital magazines. And I think the NBA Top Shot definitely has a lot more to it, but you go from trading cards, baseball cards, basketball cards, Pokemon cards, and then you just make them digital. It, was that just the simplicity behind that part of the success? Or was it the the basketball aspect to it? You know, is there something you can really pinpoint? The skeuomorphic term is interesting, but at the same time, when you introduce blockchain, it's kind of like introducing a new medium and then new things that, that were not possible before uh, become possible, right? And and so it was not exactly like just trading cards, but on the blockchain, because now we could have video, which, which is not possible with pure physical uh, trading cards. And now we had a 24-7 marketplace where people could trade and and you had a live community, you could talk to them live on Discord. So I think it's kind of like unlocking that something that couldn't exist before and, and now um, uh, now we can, right? And and not only that, I think, you know, the, the collection aspect is very interesting and that's definitely a use case, but also the way we've always seen NBA Top Shot is Kind of like as the, the the future of fandom, right? And what I mean by that is that if you if you're really invested as a fan, if you really are a fan of a a team, you should not only collect but also be recognized as as a fan of the player, a fan of the team, a fan of the NBA, and be recognized socially and in games and in real life events and digital events. And I think that's kind of like where where I really like to think about. In terms of utility of Web3, I think it allows for not just passive fandom. I'll give you an example, like kind of like if you're, I don't know, a fan of Kanye West and you're watching uh, Kanye's concert, instead of just that, and, and you're like a passive fan w- watching a concert, instead you can become an active fan and you're now part of a DAO and you're voting to decide how to promote and when and and. And, and what things you're going to build next as a community. So I think similar, uh, the similar concept here applies to NBA fandom as well, right? So I think, you know, NBA Top Shot has always been envisioned as the future of fandom for NBA fans. And I think that's uh, a really uh, powerful way of thinking. And it's not just about collecting and being a, a passive viewer of the moments, but also being recognized as a fan. So, yeah. There's definitely things that, I'm sure you can't share, but when you talk about fandom and utility, how do you think through Top Shot in terms of what owning a moment gets you? Are we still very early on that journey of exploring what active fandom looks like, in your opinion? Or is what we're seeing right now with the platform really what Top Shot's meant to be? No, we're extremely early. I I, I definitely believe that. And we're, we're still experimenting, right? We're still trying to find what that utility will be in the future. I think there's one thing that you can be very confident on is that Dapper Labs has always prioritized user value and user experience and long-term, adding long-term value. So we're not here to like just focus on the, you know, today experience. We're here iterating day in, day out in what the future could be. We're, we're going to be here for years and years and years. We're not going anywhere. Like we're very committed, right, to the, to the future of Web3. So we're always like, thinking ahead, not just like, so nothing you see today is is the final state. For NBA Top Shot, for Flow, for Dapper, we, we continue to uh, prioritize generation of user value long-term and definitely not just the short-term current mode that you see. Yeah. 
Cool. No, I love it. I'm I'm hodling my LeBron James season one moment from the uh, from the bubble so hard. I'm never gonna sell that. On it was really the one only LeBron moment in season one I could afford. It's the Caruso alley oop for his dunk in the bubble, and I'm I'm such a big LeBron fan. So I don't know if I'll ever get to participate in some active fandom or utility with LeBron from it, but still, it's a moment that I'm I definitely keep close. You know, we think that that it's awesome to collect what you love and be able to share that with your friends. Like you said, it was a, a great way for you to foster friendship in real life. And during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people made a lot of friends digitally too, and they really value that. So yeah, I really like hearing those stories and seeing how, how it impacted people's lives in various ways, right? Yeah. The first one I bought was the, the, the LeBron three, when he turns around and looks at the bench. I think that's a, that's a season two one though, but that was uh, one of the first, that was the first moment I got or the, the very first NFT actually I got too. So I have one more top shot question and we'll get to our, our one, two web three, but there's been a lot of people who have been critical of, of top shot and, you know, it's still in beta. There's questions around supply. There's been a lot of Q like pack Q issues that you've solved through. And I think that's really innovative things around, but what goes through your head when, when you see those negative comments online? And I, th- I just think it's interesting how the expectations of builders in Web3 is so different than Web2. There's no patience. People want things today. I think a lot of part of this is because there's money on the line and some of these valuations of, of these NFTs are astronomical. But it almost puts this pressure on a builder that's unrealistic. You said you were working 20-hour days during the Top Shot craze. And look, I'll tell you, you're not finding people at web two companies putting in, in 20 hour days right, right now, you know, but yet, yet you're doing it, you're building it because you believe in it. So I'm just, I'm curious on your take uh, at how a web three builder reacts to those kinds of wild expectations. Yeah, there's definitely a very passionate community on top shot. People are, people care and, and, and that's really valuable, right? It's, it's a lot better to have a community that is super vocal and cares and criticizes in a constructive way than than having a community that doesn't care ultimately, right? That is indifferent to the product. So I actually appreciate the criticism. I, I think there is a lot of good points. There's a lot of things that we, we can do better and we will do better. Uh, like I said, we're working uh, nonstop. We're focused on long-term value. We're focused on the long-term plan here. So we're going to be around and we're learning from everything we hear. One analogy that I'd love to, I'd love to mention is there's this TED talk from I think it's 2003 from Jeff Bezos, and he's 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 answering to a similar question about the dot com and criticisms around Amazon. And and one of his points is that it's extremely extremely early. It was extremely early for the internet. And he offered a, an analogy which I think is extremely powerful, which is the the analogy of electricity. And his example is like he, he shared about how they took many, many years to lay the foundation of electricity. And what people really wanted to have in their homes, the killer app of electricity was the, the light bulb, right? And everyone wanted to have the light bulb in their, in their homes. So the way that they built the homes was with a, a light bulb socket you know, on the ceiling. So that was enough for that app, basically, for, for the light bulb. But then the appliances came, and, and that allowed for a new wave of innovation. But the user experience was actually pretty terrible. You know, when the washing machine was introduced, first, it was super bulky. It was a large device. It weighed so much, you needed to leave it outside. So people had it uh, on their front porch or backyards. And 
and it would spill water sometimes. So, so they had it outside and there was this long cord that you needed to run through, you know, the backyard and, and your house. You needed to unscrew your light bulb and screw the, the cord. There was no button to turn it on or off. So it was actually a pretty bad user experience. You had to like go up a chair or something, unscrew the, the light bulb, screw that in, put your clothes in. And it was loud. It was heavy. It was dangerous because if you, you know, if your clothes got caught, caught in, into the machine, uh, you, you couldn't run to your home and, and, and unplug it. There was no on and off button. So, so it was like bad user experience. It was dangerous. There was lots of potential failures. And a lot of people could criticize that and, and be like, you know what? Washing machines are not worth it. Uh, let's, let's kill it. Let's not move forward with the technology. But, you know, some people luckily didn't look at it this way. They looked at it as like, there are some real problems that need to be solved. Um, let's find solutions to them. And some of them were, were simple solutions. Some of them was, were like, all right, let's create an on and off switch. Some other solutions were like, all right, let's build outlets and move them down so that people can plug things into their homes and the appliances industry ended up flourishing. You know, and, and similar situations happened with all the appliances, like with, with vacuum cleaner, and he shares a bunch of other examples. You can Google that TED talk. It's pretty insightful. And and I think it's a similar thing with with what we're going through, not just with Topshot, but with the industry at large. There are lots of problems. There are lots of things that could be better. There are lots of things that need to be solved. If we're here for the long term, if you believe in the technology and you think that that's uh, in the long term, it's it's going to stick around and 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 change how we do a lot of things. Then uh, those are problems to be solved, right? The same way that we saw, we looked at the CryptoKitties problems that I mentioned earlier, and we we're like, you know what, onboarding and network issues, and those are problems to be solved, and we're going to solve them one by one, and it's definitely hard. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy to solve all these issues, but we, we tend to look at these things as things that we can learn from and improve and solve. And, and ultimately, uh, our mission is still here. We, we're still going to persist and, and, and try to try our, our best to create good solutions. Yeah, no, great analogy. And it's, it's so good to zoom out sometimes and remember that to think about the washing machine something that we don't even think about twice these days. It just works, you know, and how that went through a similar adoption curve, innovation curve. And we're, we're, we're right there with the washing machine outside in your backyard when it comes to NFTs. So great way to reframe it. I would like to wrap up here and ask you my one, two, web three questions. And I really appreciate us diving into all the things you've worked on. So they, they should be, they should be easier for you. Question one, Who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, or, or artist or collector that's inspired or educated you? Okay, so I'm going to mention two, <laughs> two people instead of one. One, obviously, Roham is, has inspired me. He's the CEO of App Labs, but he's always led with a lot of passion and, and fostering ownership. And then the other person I, I'm going to mention, he's not with Dapp Labs anymore, but worked with me very closely is Benny. Benny Young, he, he now created his own uh, company and project, Stapleverse. So he's been very influential and educated me. We, work, uh, we worked very closely with every single project. He's been a big, big influence in everything I do. Awesome. Yeah, I have to check out Stapleverse. I'm not familiar, but uh, definitely familiar with Rome. And, and what's your favorite NFT? I see a couple behind you. I don't know if those are them. Or I, I assume one of them is an NFT, the framed photo. Maybe it's not, but I do see the, uh, what is that, the infinite object frame you got too? 
Yeah, this infinite object is a, an NBA top shot right behind me. And then there's a CryptoKitty physical version here behind me as well. And yes, this is a, an NFT as well. But the one I'm going to mention is uh, my profile picture. Flunks is currently my one of my favorite NFTs. They're a project built on Flow from a group of folks here from Vancouver, I believe. I don't know them personally, but they're creating the, the high school vibe in the Web3 world. And I love their Discord. I think it's so fun. They have groups within their their nfts and they have traits and i i love it uh so that's definitely one i have more uh, if you want a list of a few uh, uh, nfts i love uh, i recently came across uh nouns uh i i know it's been around for a while but i didn't know about it and i thought it was very very clever how they rethought the the way of incentivizing founders i thought it was very innovative and the way that they drop uh, one nft or they create one nft per day uh, dropped uh, in an auction system. I thought it was very interesting. Sound is another one that I'm a big fan of. It's been around for a little while as well. I've got a couple sound NFTs myself. Yeah, Doodles is is one from former Dapper Labs employees, uh, Evan and, and Jordan, and absolutely love what they're doing. Awesome. And and what what is the framed photo behind you? What NFT is that? So this is a one-on-one. I bought it on Foundation. It's from an artist called Morpho, if you want to search him on, on Twitter. It's actually a, a video. So it's a person walking. The thing is, I couldn't find a, a squared display. And this doesn't look good with a rectangular one. So it needs to be one by one. Uh, so I decided to print it uh, for now. But uh, you know, one day I might get a, an actual display to have it moving. But I like it. It was uh, my, the first auction that I <laughs> actually got to win on Foundation. So, so I decided to print it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I have a I have a big printed NFT myself, not in not in a camera view, but it's of a my Dead Ringers edition NFT. So I got that. It's it's really big. So I it's a, it's on another wall over there. So oh, nice. I, I love it. Yeah, I have a few around my house that you can't see here, but uh, yeah, I have these three that I need to get an camera. infinite object too, so I can honestly, so I can put my top shot right behind me. So I'm, I I should probably order one to, later today. Yeah, you should. It's uh, they're they're really fun and they're super sleek. The experience of opening the package is uh, amazing, and I get to watch my one of my favorite moments all the time. So it's really cool. Heck yeah! And my third question is: In five years, what's the craziest thing you think we'll be doing in the metaverse that we're not even thinking about yet? I think this one is a very hard question to answer, and the reason is, like I said uh, earlier, it's really hard to predict things when you introduce a new. A new medium. It's like, you know, the example I gave about electricity, like who could have predicted that somebody would create the television and from the television, somebody would be able to create an entire ad business, right? And revolutionize the world basically with, with I don't know, TV shows and entertainment from a device that was literally made possible because of that infrastructure with electricity. So I find it really hard to predict, but I do know that what this sort of like creates is a new playing field that new things that were not possible before become possible, right? There's a, a famous saying from Nietzsche, which is, he was talking about the typewriter, uh, the first time that he, and I tweeted about this a few years ago, he was talking about the typewriter. And he was saying that the typewriter not only changed how he wrote, but it also changed the things he wrote about and what he thought. So it was kind of like the typewriter made it possible for him to think differently and created new things that were not possible before the typewriter existed. And the same thing could be said about a bunch of other mediums like 
I don't know, Twitter is is now a hot topic, but you know, lots of jokes were not possible before Twitter existed. So it changed, it shaped culture, right? Lots of dialogues, lots of connections, lots of uh, businesses even were not possible before Twitter existed. So it introduced a new medium. And I think, you know, similarly, I think the, the blockchain and Web3 is introducing new paradigms and lots of things that are not possible. The metaverse is the easiest answer here. And I think we're, we're, we're all going to be in some shape or form interacting really heavily with the metaverse. But, but yeah, it's really, really hard to predict. One, one other thing before I stop rambling, you know, when you look at kids today, it's, it's very noticeable how even YouTube changed what toys they like and what, and what toys parents buy, right? And it's night and day. Like I look at and, and what they do in their free time, in their spare time, right? Uh, how digital became such a, a, a huge part of their entertainment. And if you fast forward, like what are they going to like in five years, right? Uh, what are they going to like in 10 years? I think it's very easy to see digital ownership being extremely, extremely important and, and way more relevant than it is today. Totally. No, great, great answer there. And I'm definitely going to be doing some Googling to see if I can pull up that typewriter quote or the broader story around it. Cause I think that's a very interesting way to put out. Didn't just change what he wrote, but how he wrote and what he, what he thought about. So awesome. Well, Arthur, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate the experiences you shared with us and the the way you think about product building and the user experience in the nft world so so interesting for me so i wish you all success at dapper labs and we'll be making sure i'm following all the updates on the flow blockchain and in the products that you know i'm using too with that i'd just like to give you a, a moment here where can people find you online how can people interact with you and follow what you're doing thank you so much josh it's been a pleasure to be here and uh, yeah, people can find me on Twitter. That's the place you can find me the easiest. My handle is, it's A-R-T-H-C-M-R. So it's uh, just short for uh, Arthur Kamara. And it's a Funks PFP right now with, with uh, hearty eyes. So that's me. And one thing that I didn't mention is that I'm really interested in, in getting a bit, I've been so involved with Top Shot over the past two years, super heads down, but I'm really looking forward to helping out more creators and folks who want to get involved. So if you're thinking about building, thinking about creating in the space and you, you want to talk to somebody and, and share your, your ideas and thoughts, I, I would definitely be happy to help and hear you out. And maybe this will inspire me as well to uh, figure out how to help people at scale. And I'm really excited to hear uh, stories from people who are going through their early journeys of building on, on Web3. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thank you to everybody listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. I appreciate your time. If you're listening on YouTube, drop a subscribe, like on the video, it goes a long way. And if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts, following the show really helps us reach more Web3 curious and native people week to week. So with that, I'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening. See you in the metaverse. Peace out. hope you've enjoyed this episode of the unstoppable podcast if something we said today resonated with you please leave us a review subscribe and share this with your friends and remember this conversation doesn't have to end here tweet us your questions thoughts and ideas to unstoppable web i look forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening